0: This is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative individuals who are shaping the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in land conservation, or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time up high in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, adventurers, pretty much anyone who's doing important work, has an interesting story, and loves the American West. My guest today is Daniel Anderson. Daniel is a Montana native and founder of the Common Ground Project, a nature-based retreat, hiking, and camping experience in which small groups of people from around the world share adventure, education, and conversation. Located on Daniel's family ranch in the heart of Montana's renowned Tom Miner Basin, the Common Ground Project seeks to strengthen connections between people, wildlife, and the stunning landscapes of the American West. As you'll hear, Daniel and his family's multi-generational commitment to community and holistic land stewardship make them the perfect people to pass along the wisdom they've gained from the land and life in the Rockies. To call Daniel's personal story fascinating would be quite an understatement. Born in Missoula and raised in the Tom Minor Basin, Daniel attended boarding school back east and graduated from college with a degree in engineering. But soon after beginning his professional career in California, doctors discovered two fist-sized cancerous tumors in his body, one attached to his kidney and the other to his aorta. The cancer diagnosis, subsequent treatment, and his return to health sharpened Daniel's focus on the importance of helping and connecting with others, and also led him on a 10-year journey of rigorous personal spiritual work. The cumulative result of all these intense life experiences was the creation of the Common Ground Project. So, as you've probably gathered, Daniel is a super interesting guy. We only covered a fraction of what I'd hoped to discuss, but I know you'll enjoy this conversation. We chat about the Common Ground Project, the genesis of the idea, and the moment he decided to make the plan into a reality. We also talk about the lessons learned from his cancer experience, as well as wisdom gleaned from his tight-knit family, including his grandfather who purchased the ranch in the 1950s, and had also been a POW during the Second World War. We talk about his family's long-standing commitment to collaborative land stewardship in the Tom Miner Basin and the challenges and opportunities of land ownership in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Finally, we discuss influential books, his most powerful outdoor experience, and insights Daniel has gained from a decade of rigorous spiritual inquiry. I encourage you to check out the Common Ground Project online, and if the mission speaks to you, consider donating to their Indiegogo campaign. Links to everything are in the episode notes. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this fun conversation with Daniel Anderson. When you meet somebody for the first time, and they ask ask you that question that everybody loves to ask people, what do you do? How do you answer that?
1: I I usually try to dodge that question, actually. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I honestly do uh, yeah especially uh, since I've been with Louise She's it, it's so clear for her you know and, and she's so great she's like I'm a photographer and she's really good at it and so they're like oh and Daniel what do you do I'm like well um, I kind of do a variety pack of things at the moment so uh, but to answer the question I I still you know have to pay bills and such I still work in construction and trades um, I have I have done that for the better part of 15 years I I contribute to uh, work at the ranch in Tom Miner Basin all year round if I can as much as I can and um, you know I do a variety of crafty things as well like on occasion I'll build a picture frame for sale I, I, I'm a licensed drone pilot I've worked uh, a variety of different projects flying drones which is kind of interesting and um, as of recent I'm the founder of the Common Ground Project.
0: That's awesome. And all of that would give us about eight hours of podcast. So you're going to have to come back for multiple rounds so we can cover it all because it's all super interesting. Um, I guess the, you know, I, I want to talk a lot about the Common Ground Project, obviously, but it may be the best way to get to that is to kind of set the stage um, as to the landscape, where your ranch is and where the Common Ground Project will be taking place. And mm-hmm. so could you just maybe talk a little bit about the Tom Minor Basin and talk the landscape and just kind of where that lies in the modern-day American West?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so Tom Minor Basin, yeah, I understand you have a, a large audience. Um, if I were to say that in Montana, a lot of people would be like, oh, gee, I know Tom Minor Basin. Yeah, I've heard of that place. But I, I get it. So yeah, it's Tom Miner is is located in southwest Montana. It's um, right on the outskirts of Yellowstone National Park in the northwest corner, and and so from a visual standpoint, I, I'm a little biased because I grew up there, admittedly. But it it really is one of the most beautiful landscapes in this country, and arguably one of the more beautiful landscapes in the world. Um, it historically Tom Minor Basin was a, basically a big volcano that blew its top and it filled up with a glacier and that glacier slowly carved its way north into Paradise Valley, which is just literally just miles down. And, and from the ranch, you can look into Paradise Valley as, as you're looking north. Uh, so when you visualize that landscape, I mean, it's up high, you've got these like really rugged, steep, rocky outcroppings and mountain tops that then drop into massive timbered areas, uh you know, really big, vast, deep mountainscapes and hillsides that can clear out and then, you know, get maybe covered in sage that then drops into these really really stunning and kind of magical rolling hills with aspen groves and these high alpine meadows with crazy lush grasses and um I mean, I know I'm I'm making it sound pretty romantic, but truth is, it really is. Tom Minor, it's just a stunning place visually. And uh, and it's really not all that big of a basin. So when you're in it, you really feel like you're you're in this place. It's like this a bowl that's just sort of holding you. Um it's probably probably about as good as I can get in explaining what it looks like and where it is.
0: No, I think that's a great description. And I think you saying that you grew up there, I think a lot of times when people grow up somewhere, they're jaded on the place. You know, when I lived in Jackson Hole, there are people that lived, had grown up there and they just, they look at the Tetons and just kind of, you know, just keep going, no big deal. And Mm. so I think the fact that 34 years later, it's still as stunning as it was, you know, from your first memory of it, I think that says a lot. And I can confirm that. I've never been in the basin, but Paradise Valley is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And mm. I've, I haven't spent enough time there, but I'll come up there and visit you guys. Um, <laughs> this will be a good yeah, excuse.
1: Yeah, you, you definitely are welcome to. Please do.
0: So the, the, the basin and yeah, a lot of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, I guess, is kind of this ground zero for so many different competing interests in the West. um mm. and uh, on the Mountain and Prairie Book Club, we read a book called American Wolf uh, yeah. by Nate, Nate Blakesley, And I think that touched on one of the issues, which is wolves. And then there's just generally, you know, grizzly bears. And then there's the ranching contingent. There's the hunting contingent. There's yeah. tourism. So you've got all these different uh, groups that compete, um, you know, and they collaborate as well. But it's there's just a lot of different things going on that all kind of overlap in that area. So can you maybe talk a little bit about first about – The ranching operations there in the basin and maybe what your family's ranch is like and what some of the other ranches around are like
1: sure yeah yeah so the so tom basin um the locals where where we live call it the upper basin um once you get up there you can really tell you're in this sort of upper basin so there's five landowners in the upper basin and of the landowners there certainly are ranchers people who are producing you know beef and and some of it's grass-fed beef uh and there's also guest ranches, you know, that sort of um, more of a dude-style ranch, I guess you could say. There's an outfitter who, you know, also has um, – they they too produce beef. Uh, and then there's what we would call absentee landowners, um, great people who, who, you know, have come from somewhere else and and have this affinity to these beautiful places and have the ability to own land. So – they're also a part of that community, uh, although they're not there all the time. They certainly are active members in the community, and um, and that's that's it from sort of a the people who live there standpoint um, to to your I guess to your point about these different factions of ranchers uh, or landowners maybe with different interests and wolves and grizzlies and tourism and all that. Um, there, yeah, Tom Miner has become, in some respects, a bit of a role model to how community um, can come together despite the varying interests and or um, perspectives of the world. So it's. There are definitely challenges. I'll put it that way, and it's dynamic. It's complicated. It, it can get more and more complicated. It probably will as we go into the future. But the foundation is really pretty sweet because all of that community has come together. And, and you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about this. But you know, like Tom Miner Basin Association is is a platform that that community has been able to come together and share their individual concerns on behalf of the collective. Uh, And that collective isn't just people. That collective is also the wildlife, which um, is really, really powerful.
0: Yeah, that is. So why do you think that that particular group of people in that particular landscape were able to figure out this kind of collaborative way to make it work, whereas it seems like at least the stuff that gets a lot of attention throughout the West is people fighting, um, and maybe there are other examples of, of places like Tom, Tom Minor that, where people figure out how to make it work and it's just not interesting press or it doesn't get clicks. But it seems like you guys are really just kind of a case study of the you know, best case scenario of how people can work together. Why do you think that is just progressive landowners? People get along. They trust each other. A, a small number of landowners, maybe everybody knows each other. What, what, what do you what is the reason for that?
1: I'd say both of those are reasons for that. There's probably a whole variety pack of reasons. Uh, It it is a small community there. For the most part, people have been there for a long time. Um, The Anderson family, you know, and my grandfather, uh, and so our, our sort of lineage, if you look at that way, is the oldest family in the basin now. Um, But that, that being said, the people know each other really well, and we've all been neighbors for quite a while. And, And I would pay a lot of credit to uh, – pay a lot of credit, honestly, to my sister Malou and my brother's wife Hillary in spearheading that association and making it come to life. Uh, The idea had certainly been tossed around in a variety of different ways over the years, but nobody actually really had the gusto to follow through with it Mm -hmm. like Malou and Hillary. And and they – they were the ones who really got it started. Um, from there, of course, then it it started to grow and the connection between the neighborhood and the neighbors, um, it matured especially in the face of, um, of growing challenges or, or these, these issues that like a great example is, is the wolf, uh, the wolf wasn't always in Tom Minor Basin, at least not for the last say a hundred years or so. Mm-hmm. And and when it when Wolves reintroduced into Yellowstone Park, that whole basin felt that. And and so that that the shared challenges are are great ways at which people can come together. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: that's great. And it's. I, I love that um, not only that it has happened, but that it's gotten press. Because before you and I were even introduced, I, I knew about the Tom Miner Basin. I'd read a good bit about it. And it just, I think it, especially in these times for everybody, so many people seem to be at odds. It's cool to have this shining example of how you can make it work. And you know, I, I would imagine that your family and other families have had to make sacrifices. You haven't gotten everything exactly your way every time. But in the end, you've, you know, you've got this great community there where it, it sounds like it's a win-win-win for everybody, you know, the, the ranching, the business, the, the wildlife. I mean, it, it, do you, do you think that's a correct way to look at it?
1: I think there's truth in that. Um, yeah, I do think there's truth in that. Although to be fair, it's not quite that easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, like for example, the scenario is, is continually changing uh you know six seven years ago we did not have the traffic that we have on that road yeah uh, that we do now and and that's raised its own set of challenges that not everybody in that in tom minor uh you know looks at the same way Uh, some people definitely have ideas in terms of how to deal with that that other people just don't agree with so it's not always just win, win, win. It's a struggle uh, to, to continually bring people together and say, you know, how can we, uh, not to play on the words of the common ground, but how can we find this common ground? How can we collaborate? And, and what is it that we stand for as a community? Uh, because ultimately, it's Tom Miner Basin is definitely on the map. And yeah. And there's a there's a double-edged sword with that, honestly. You know, I, I, as a kid, we we didn't have wolves. We 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 had grizzly bears, but we didn't even have that many grizzly bears growing up. Um, and I mean, bear spray didn't even come for for quite a few years. Uh, you know, there was as a kid, I remember running around the hills without any bear spray. And and so these issues, it's it's been an evolution for us. And I think ultimately it's a matter of looking at our values individually and as a community and continually circling back to those. Mm-hmm. Um, it, as it goes with wildlife, it, it's not always a win for wildlife either. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have we have learned some hard lessons in terms of how we manage ourselves. And in the wake of that process, animals have been hurt. So, um, I mean, a really, really good example of that. That is super relevant and current uh is that you know a few years back there was a sow grizzly bear with two cubs uh in the fall who she was she was killed by a hunter um accidentally i mean it was one of those just bad situations that can happen in this type of landscape and in the end mother was killed and these two cubs were really young and you know we we were talking with biologists and specialists and and not any n- nobody thought that these two cubs were gonna make it through that first winter, and they did, wow. surprisingly. And they became almost overnight like local rock stars, <laughs> and and they got a lot of attention from locals. They also got a lot of attention from people who are from all corners of the country. And, um, and those bears, you know, from people on the dirt roads and, uh, people who live there too, those bears didn't learn what they could and should have learned had they had a mom in terms of habituation to people. And ultimately we, as a community, at least in my opinion, we should have seen this coming. Like we could have been more proactive in, in, those teachable moments for bears when they're too close, you know, you, you, there's lessons that they can learn and we should have been more proactive too with how we store bird seed and dog food and, and keeping them off our porches literally. And, and ultimately in the end, this, this last fall, uh, those two bears meandered further North into paradise Valley, found themselves into a number of garbage cans and in places where people really weren't comfortable with grizzly bears, and both of them were killed, hmm. and and so, which is really sad. Uh, I mean, to me, that's just like, dang it, uh, ooh, something that we could have we could have prevented. Uh, ultimately, I think we could have, and we can't control it all. But again, to the point, it's not always a win-win-win. Uh, I think, in overall, it's a really good system, and and people are you know, aligned with each other, which is paramount. And the values are are certainly showing themselves to be um, really beneficial for the overall system, not just the individual or the family.
0: Yeah, so, I, I really appreciate that perspective. And I think we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. But the, the cool thing about these podcasts is that you have time to really discuss these things in, in depth. And, you know, I've read a few articles and It's all written real nicely and makes everything out to sound great. And the reality is if there was a secret formula and if it were easy, there wouldn't be any conflict anywhere and everybody would win. And so I think it's very good for people to hear that you guys are held up as this case study of how it can work, but it's still hard as hell. And there's still challenges and you're having to readjust and, you know, make different concessions here and there and so i i think that's a, a real valuable thing for people to hear that even the people that are quote the best you know you're busting your ass to, to to stay you know to to make it work so that i appreciate that um how did your family end up there
1: yeah we ended up i i pay it all to grandpa and grandma and my father's side of the family um, my grandfather moved. Well, both my grandparents moved to Montana in 1952 in Paradise Valley, and from just from Kenosha, Wisconsin, from okay. the Midwest. Cool. So my grandfather, uh, he, he, he really interesting family. Both my grandparents really interesting families. But the story of him coming to Montana is is kind of a heart throb because he, you know, he was a bomber pilot in World War II. And he was shot down uh, over Italy. And so from that, of course, he was he a was prisoner of war for, I think it was at least a couple years. Wow. And, and, until the end of the war. So he came out of the war with just this, as, as anybody would, of course. But he, he just came out of the war with this really um, powerful transition that he had yet to experience. And, and back then... I don't think back then we even recognized this concept of post-traumatic stress, but looking at it now, like I, I would pretty confidently say that grandpa Andy had some, some version of that. And when he came back home to Kenosha, Wisconsin, he clearly was not, it wasn't going to work for him to, mm-hmm. to be in that particular place and in that lifestyle. And, and he just had this, he was, a, I think he was a romantic at heart from probably a long, long time ago. and, he had this yearning to experience this sort of rural Western lifestyle um, and, and this kind of this rancher-esque um, idea, I, I guess. And so he went westward and my, my grandma Ginny went with him and they landed in Montana, Paradise Valley. And then just a few years after 1952, he uh, he fell he fell in love with Tom on Basin and was like this. This has got to be it. So i would say that it started there um you know and, and i i would argue too that it was tom minor basin that was probably the beginning of my grandfather in his healing process mm. and, and so from there you know their my father and his brothers all grew up on the on the ranch the same ranch and they all had their own paths and their own educational pursuits and professional pursuits and and most of them would leave at some point and come back. And, and it was my father and, and my mother, also from, also from the Midwest, from Michigan, who decided to build a life on the ranch um, full time. So that's sort of how it came to be.
0: That's a great story. Um, so you spent – I know you, were, you told me you were born in Missoula. And then wh- how old were you when you were at the ranch full time?
1: Uh, it was, you know, from second grade on. Oh wow! About, I mean, I, I we, we actually lived in Big Timber, Montana, briefly for a couple of years. It was such a I was so young that I I have memories, but they weren't they're not very clear. Um, most of my childhood and into middle school and and some of my high school time as well was in Tom Miner Basin. Although I, I did I went to boarding school in Connecticut. Where'd you go? For four, for four years i went to kent in connecticut and it was a great school major culture shock that's for sure uh coming from chasing sheep in the hillsides uh to you know all these crazy accents like new jersey and boston and new york and it was just like whoa these people are crazy
0: oh yeah well so i'm really interested in this and so i had i had juanita vero on a few um a few months ago, and she, her family has a ranch in near Missoula, and she also went to boarding school, and I went to boarding school. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm super yeah. interested in—so, uh, I mean, what was that like when you got there to boarding school, and you've grown up in Montana on this ranch, and next thing you know, you're in New England at boarding school, which I imagine was a pretty preppy scene, if it's anything like my boarding school, which is oh, cool. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, it, nothing against that, but that <laughs> is a culture shock. I mean, what did you think of all these— Dudes wearing their their pastel polo shirts when you roll into that place.
1: Oh man, you nailed it! You totally nailed it.
0: I know, I was there, man. I was in the southeast, but but I know, I lived. It. That's great.
1: <laughs> yeah, it took a while to learn how to tie a tie. Yeah, uh, it uh, at, at first, honestly, I, my whole freshman year in high school, I was somewhat of a hermit. I, I, I didn't. I mean, I certainly tried to socialize and tried to have friends and i and i did start to have some friends i think everybody in their freshman year of high school is pretty darn awkward at least that's my excuse for being awkward but i i it took a while i put it that way to get used to it and to understand like just how how neat it was to be there um by the end of my high school experience in connecticut i i realized how Uh, how unique it was for me to have grown up where I did so I mean there were times where I'd have like an entire dorm room full of you know football and lacrosse players and all these guys and pals that I you know knew telling stories about like you know about running into grizzly bears while you're guarding sheep and yeah, <laughs> yeah. irrigating and um i'm just random random things i could pull anything out of the pocket and people from new york city and boston would just be like holy moly it's crazy <laughs> <laughs> so it, it ended up being really really great way to start sharing stories and and uh and then, of course, with that too, I—I I mean, I always, my family has—it's been like this for years, you know—and insisted that people come out stay with us in the summers. So I had friends come visit from the East Coast, who just loved coming to Montana and oh, yeah. you know spending life on the ranch for two or three weeks. I had a buddy out for almost a whole month one summer, just just working on the ranch, you know, and just doing our thing, and and that was. Really, where it it became special, realizing just how awesome it was that I got to spend that time in Connecticut and still have these roots in Montana that are clearly so deep.
0: Are you still pretty good friends with your boarding school friends? I'm great friends with a whole bunch of them.
1: You know, as it goes, so many. Whenever we talk to each other, we're like, "Oh man, we don't we don't communicate or we don't touch base as much as we should." But I, you know, our lives just keep going. But I've got. Some of my closest friends are are from my high school years in Connecticut. Definitely.
0: Yeah, same with me. I mean, my best friends and cuz you grow up with them, you know, they're they're almost like family. Um they are kind of your family cuz you're away from your family. Um well before we we go too deep down that, I want to I want to stay on the Tom Miner basin yeah. and I want to hear uh, can we let's go ahead and talk about the common ground project cuz that's one of the things I really want people to be sure that they understand and learn about and it's it's really an unbelievably exciting project it combines so many things that that i'm interested in and it um just in this unbelievable landscape so can you just kind of give us a, a primer on on the the project and, and where things stand
1: definitely yeah thank you for giving me the chance to share it too it's really special so common ground project is something that i've I brainchilded a few years ago and then started to collaborate a few ideas with my father in terms of, you know, visioning what this could be. And, and what it is now is we are creating a, a, an immersive camping uh, guided nature based experience that we're going to host at our ranch in Tom Minor Basin for small groups of people. Ideally, these people are from all over the world. Uh, And and this type of experience is um, educational at its core. It's definitely, there's elements of recreation and adventure, because, of course, you're in in this wild landscape and wildlife watching and understanding, you know, the wildlife biology of the place, the history of the place, um, the landscape itself, how it became, the shape that it is. So, I mean, there's a lot of educational components uh, at the same time, the intention is that what we can do here is create a space for people to bridge culturally uh, through through sharing an immersive experience in nature and in a wild place. And it certainly isn't anything unique just to Tom Minor Basin. But I, I think if you get you get ten people around a campfire for five days and, and you throw in hiking and equine assisted therapy and facilitated discussions and guest presenters are like wildlife biologists and geologists and historians and, and, you know, people like our mutual friend, Becca fruit, you know, who can come in and say, like, this is how you tell your story and this is how we can learn about each other through the power of storytelling. I mean, in five days, you've got a really, really neat connection of people, uh, and and potentially something that can then be integrated elsewhere in, in our lives. It's not about just coming out to Montana and having a good time for five days. It's like, how can we really learn from each other and take this somewhere else? So that's, that's common ground project in a nutshell, you know, a facilitated nature-based experience, literally camping in teepees on the Anderson ranch. So
0: and I'll link to your web page, and you've got a great video on your fundraising website. Now, there are links to everything everything on the page, so people can click through. Um, so, you know, I have a million ideas a day of things that I think would be cool, and I, I would imagine you do too. What What was the point where this idea you decided, all right, got to make this thing a reality? Because it's a big difference between having a cool idea and actually making it work and starting to go out and raise money and, and really put – Plans into action. Um, so, was there a specific moment where you decided, "All right, we got to do this," or was it more kind of a slow burn over time and it built up?
1: It was both. I, I won't go into the slow burn because the slow burn was in the range of twenty years. But, <laughs> but it, it, there was a moment that uh, I, I just immediately could tell myself uh this has to happen i'm doing this and and it was three years ago i was working on the ranch as a range rider and i actually had gone to i was in boston early that summer uh friend's wedding and i you know in the process of the wedding we met these great people and these met these two young women about the same age um, one from new york city and one from kansas city both inner city kids from the city grew up in the city and they are you know independent enough and and able enough now to like go and travel the country and, and they're like oh yeah well so our thing is we we uh we pick a place on the map and we just go uh once a year at least so my buddies and i are like well geez have you ever been to montana and and they're like, Pff, no, of course not. We've never been to Montana. What, what is that place? Is that still a territory? <laughs> <laughs> like, we're like, all right, this this is it. You have to come to Montana, and and they came. They came that, that same summer, and this moment was, you know, we we spent a couple of days at the ranch. Um, definitely gave them a brief snapshot of what it all looks like in Tom Minor. and, and there was this late this evening it was actually getting into the nighttime. One of these young women and myself were sitting on this porch of of our barn second level porch is cantilevered off the side of the barn looking up into this beautiful you know vista in this horizon and the moon is it's, it's really a full moon that night too which is great so you can see a lot but the moon is starting to come up behind the mountains and you can really really see that horizon and we're talking and sharing stories and it's just quiet and you can hear the the birds at night making their sounds and you can just feel it all pretty visceral setting very peaceful and a little bit of the meaning of life conversation too it's just kind of frame this in so, a couple minutes of silence we're looking up at the mountains and this and this girl this young woman turns to me and she's looks like right into my eyes and she's got her her, her eyes are just welling up with tears wow. and she says daniel thank you so much for insisting that we come out here And I, I mean, I was immediately, I was, I was, I felt that. And I was like, well, thank you for coming out here. Like, you know, we couldn't do it without you. And she looked up at the horizon. She's like, no, you don't get it. And, and, you know, tears really started to kind of come out a little bit more. And she's like, I never knew this existed. And I, and this is this young woman from Kansas City. And, And so I, I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And she turns to me again and she's like, sort of points, takes her pointer finger toward her heart. She's like, I never knew this feeling existed. Oh, wow. And, and it was just like this beautiful, beautiful moment. And then that's all she said, you know, and we just, then we just look up at the horizon and at the moment, then I'm thinking to myself, yeah, this has to happen.
0: That's pretty powerful stuff. That sounds like a movie. One day someone's <laughs> gonna make a movie about about this whole deal and that's gonna be like the, the big scene. <laughs> oh, that's man. awesome, it was man. So that's cool. that's uh, that's really cool.
1: Yeah. It was really, really special to to like just be witness to that.
0: Well and that that brings me to another question I had in, in talking to our mutual friend friend Becca, who is happens to be one of the most hilarious people in the world. And <laughs> I'll link to her Instagram yeah. people. <laughs> she's really she is un, she is hilarious and she's a one of the most authentic in unique people I've ever met in my life, I love mm-hmm. her. She's awesome. So she's great. But she yeah. was, she was talking. We were talking a little bit prior to this uh, us meeting, and she was talking about how your family has this unique aspect or unique way of thinking about the land, and that you know we're long term stewardship. That you know the idea of owning land that's as far as the human race goes that's a relatively new idea, and that mm-hmm. you know we're all right. just kind of passing through, and that you 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 and your family had this real um commitment to i guess sharing the landscape i don't know if that if that makes any sense but was that something this idea of kind of being the temporary stewards of the land as it moves on and sharing the land with other people and sharing the experience was that something that was in your family before this experience you had with with this young woman or oh yeah okay can you talk a little bit did that come from yeah. your grandfather maybe
1: yeah I, oh certainly it, it's hard to pinpoint, really, how far back that goes in the family uh, in terms of great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents. But I know for sure that Grandpa Andy really embodied those same that same outlook or perspective as a steward. Uh, even growing up, I remember just being in my elementary years of, you know, sitting around the dinner table and mom and dad would talk about, like, well, you know, we— just consider this timeline. We're, we're really here for just a small little speck on it. Mm-hmm. and do, do we really own it? Uh, not really. It's, it's uh, maybe on paper we do, and, and it's our responsibility to to ultimately be the best stewards that we possibly can while we're here, um, because w- why would you do anything otherwise right? I mean that was that was basically the message from younger years, and I know that that was passed down from Grandpa Andy one thing i would I would add to the stewardship um, ideals, so to speak is is that you know from Grandpa Andy and my father and my grandmother and my parents and my siblings and all you know so many of us we feel like uh, if you look at something specific on the on the landscape, whether it's a tree or a bush or an animal it's we try to look at it at least in this lens of it has intrinsic value. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's not necessarily something that is ours to own or ours to like benefit from. Um, I mean, it, understandably, we have to pay attention to all the elements of sustainability, and that is you know environmental, social, economic, and you know financial is a part of that. Um, but it's it's not this sort of. You know, I don't want to play too too heavily into like the hunting world but it's really not from this predatory standpoint it's more of this romantic standpoint of just having a really deep appreciation for the place and all of its inhabitants and that we're part of that system and that that ultimately was the foundation for our stewardship model as a family and from there as the community grows naturally and especially in tom miner basin it is turned into this it's the foundation surely but it's turned into this aspect of trying to move the conversation or the values from i and me to us and we Mm -hmm. Uh, you know trying to remove our own interests if possible for the betterment of the entire system and all the relationships that are going on and that that's definitely people to people, but it also is very much people to place. So, and, and that includes wildlife and, and anything that you can put your eyes on as you walk through a landscape. So that's kind of where we are now. <clears throat> and that's the, ultimately the foundation did come probably from grandpa Andy.
0: So you've got that in your DNA really. And, but have there been any books or films or resources that you can think of for you personally, that you could recommend to other people that have helped you kind of uh, hone that, that instinct that you have of, of stewardship or any, anything, any books that have played a, a big role in that, that you could recommend? You know, I,
1: I think so. I, I mean, growing up, there was, there was one particular book that really was pivotal for me as a early twenties guy. And that is Ishmael from Daniel Quinn. Mm-hmm uh yeah i mean if if i I've actually read it now i don't, I've read it a handful of times now, and last time I read it, I've just basically cruised through it in a long weekend it's a, It's a fairly easy read uh but it's pretty powerful and profound and it it it's one of those kind of books that puts exactly what I just said into just a different context in a in a different way of telling that story i I would say for any young person listening to this right now, young being like anywhere from teens all the way into late 20s, I just would grab that book and just read it. Um, it, And maybe it doesn't speak to you the way it did for me, but that one for sure, that amplified a lot of my own, um, you know, kind of bringing me into my own voice, I guess I would say, when I was in my early 20s. But aside from that, you know, a lot of books uh, just in the last few years like I I actually had a list of books written out um and I was gonna talk about them and then I looked on your on your website with all these awesome books that you have listed and I'm like, oh geez, they're all there. <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> so, I, <laughs> you got so many good books, man. <laughs> but so I ended up going back to my to the arsenal and like Richard Lube's Last Child in the Woods, I it, it even says it like right on the cover, um <laughs> It's like an absolute must-read for parents. Really? Yeah, it, yeah it's it literally it's what it says in quotes. I'll uh, read that.
0: I'll. T- I can take. I need all the help I can get on that. Yeah. That front. <laughs>
1: it, it, well, so yeah, last child in the woods, saving our children from nature deficit disorder. Oh,
0: I've it, heard of that book. Yeah, I've heard of that it's, book.
1: It's a darn good read. There's a lot there for sure. It's it's really informational. Um, another another book though that has helped in some of the sort of philosophical way of looking at stewardship is titled presence, mm-hmm. it, human purpose in the field of the future. I mean, that's like, that's heavy and heady. but, uh, Peter Senge kind of leads the charge. Um, Joseph Jorsky, there's, there's four authors that contribute to that, but really, really good book. Uh, f- when you consider this sort of the context of stewardship and, and how we as, as people, um, kind of understand our role in society as well as in in the larger aspects of life
0: those are um, great and they're not on the website so i will uh, i'll add them and for people listening <laughs> i'll have links to, to all this stuff so if you're driving a car right now don't be writing down these books just go to the website later <laughs> um so uh, you've got a you've got a, a great team in place with the common ground project um both people that are you know working on it full time and then partners and supporters and some of, some of whom have actually been on this podcast before. And we were talking before we started recording about what a small world it is. Um, can you just talk a little bit about this, this great team that you've assembled?
1: Yeah, definitely the team. So the core, the inner core for common ground project started with my father and I, and, and my sister Malou quickly jumped on board. She, uh, she and I are, are the two siblings closest in age. She lives on the ranch full-time, and she's just, I mean, I, I'm biased. Of course, she's my sister. She's a great human being, ultimately. She's a beautiful person, and she's got a lot of really, really powerful ways of relating to horses in her own story, in her own kind of experience, and that's what she's bringing into this core, is, is this equine-assisted aspect of, you know, relationships, Um, So aside from dad and Malou and dad is really my grounding rod and I mean, just totally transparent. Dad is like my greatest hero. Mm -hmm. Um, So the two of them is where we started. And from there, really dear friend, Melissa De Nino, who I seriously can't put words to how talented this human being is uh, on a creative standpoint. She Mm -hmm. is just like, I'm blown away. She continually shows up just like home run after home run after home run. And you ask her to do something or you ask her, are you interested in doing this? And she's like, yep, I can do that. And within literally within days, there you have it. So like, she, Melissa drew up the logo that we have for the common ground project. She mapped out the website in large and, and created all of that. She's helping me really as sort of a creative content director in many ways uh how to how to visualize and help you know capture this idea of common ground project so she's there she's 100 percent in and like she's literally turned into sort of my right hand person
0: well i don't Um, even know if she told you but as a side note She and I had been talking, I I came across her on social media and we connected and she just seemed so interesting. And we had been texting or uh, sending messages about her coming on the podcast. And I think she's going to come on in January. So that's going to be awesome. I'm so excited and it'll, it'll really work well with um, people learning more about the project. And I've heard so many great things about her from, from different people and her, her work speaks for itself. So that's awesome. So people stay tuned for that.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. She's great. And she'll be, she was going to be awesome on a podcast too. Uh, so then, so from there, I got, got a couple more people. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people, but I have to, I definitely have to shout out to Becca, Becca Frucht. She, I asked her after we became close pals and, you know, shared all this stuff with Common Ground. I, I was like, listen, can you, would you be interested in, in joining this team? Sort of as like a kind of call it a master storyteller. And just, just, come into the scenario and sprinkle all of your amazingness on the crowd. <laughs> she, she said, heck yes, I would do that for sure. So she, she's jumped in and, and we're still, you know, exploring what this is going to turn into from like a professional standpoint, but she's all in for sure. And then, and lastly, I, I mean, as this goes, I, Louise Johns, she's my girlfriend, partner, ultimately the most beautiful person I've ever, I've ever known. And she has this way with a camera that is just like, I'm like, Holy geez, she is super talented and she's provided all of the visual, uh, details and pictures that we have so far for like on our website. And, and also helped me kind of, she's helped me by guiding me along the way with, with what imagery can do. Um, you know, from a storytelling standpoint. She comes at it with a lot of integrity and and a deep, deep appreciation for, again, for people and place. And she gets it. So as a partner, I I just couldn't be luckier. And then also to co-create this, uh, this idea of Common Ground Project. And we're scheming, although I'm not going to talk about it just yet, but we are definitely scheming together about some programs in the future that we could house through the the common ground project so last but not least is louise johns of course
0: yes well that's all individually any of those people if they, they were just doing it themselves it'd be exciting but the fact that you're all working together and combining all your your different strengths i mean that's that's huge and um it is I'm very it excited is. i mean it's yeah, it's just, it's just really, really cool. And it just makes sense. And it, you know, for my personal selfish interest, it just, I'm, I'm super interested in what you're doing. Um, so I, I do have to, I'm going to cut you off. Just yeah, quick, go, so. go I
1: also have to pay credit to my brother, my sister's husband, Dre, mm-hmm. who, who lives on the ranch full time. You know, he and I, <clears throat> as I started to create this idea, this concept, you know, he and I would hike together a lot on the ranch. Um, both day and night, we would hike and and share our you know perspectives of the world. And he was one of the grounding rods, similar to the way the way my dad has been, in in sort of pushing me and propelling me and saying, you know, you're on to something. Do it, man. Like you you got this. And he also is like, and you just say when I I'm gonna help in any way I possibly can. So I I know that Dre from his create his capacity as a person who's creative as well as just really handy. Uh, he's going to for sure be a person that contributes to the common ground project in the future in, in probably a myriad ways. So yeah, I'm close
0: to that, but all-star team, man, good, good all-star. work on that. Um, so what is your fund? Can you talk a little bit about your fundraising goal and, and how people can either contribute and or spread the word? How how can people get involved?
1: Yeah, there's. I, yeah, it's great. Thank you. Um, so the fundraising is through Indiegogo. We we've put a pretty high target out there. It, admittedly, you know, I'm not sure if we're going to get there, but 150,000 is what we're shooting for. Um, although that includes uh, inviting people to come and experience uh, the first the first few retreats. So. Technically speaking, we don't really even need to get to 150,000. You know, we're looking at this from the lens of anything we can raise is going to help us and it's going to move us forward into building out this entire facility, which incorporates a bunch of TPs to get all of our guests and participants, and then also facilitators and guides and professional presenters and such to come and, and have a place to stay as well as a really, really nice bathhouse and, like fire pit and all this stuff. So the fundraiser is about generating that foundation to build out our facility. Um, But it's also more than just that, you know, and this is how people can get – can engage. I mean, if you can't come to Montana by experiencing one of our retreats, then you can still – be a part of this experience in some way by helping um, if of course if it resonates with you by helping share the the kind of principles that we're trying to espouse and and so this concept through the fundraiser has really launched itself into a national and even international audience to to help s- sort of spread the word and that word really has distilled into one Fairly simple message, um, which I can't help but think is about as appropriate as it gets considering the world that we're in right now, especially politically. Mm-hmm. And and the message is we are more connected than we are divided. Yeah. And it's about time we start paying attention to that and and really honoring that and and having fun doing it too, you know, and and like doing it in these wild places like Tom Miner Basin. Um, so. So the, the Indiegogo crowdfunder is sort of a twofold uh, purpose. You know, One is definitely generating some income to build out facilities that will enable us to really get going with this. And the other is about just sharing virtues and values and connecting with people. And, and it doesn't really have to do with raising money. It just has to do with creating meaningful connections between people and, and beautiful wild places.
0: So. Well there's definitely a need for that, like you said, now there now more than ever. I think there always has been, at least for the last like four thousand years of humanity, but <laughs> but it's um, yeah. you know, ever since we started yeah. settling down in towns. But it's um mm-hmm. I think I admire I admire what you're doing. Um so I wanna talk a little bit more about you specifically because we've only scratched the surface as far as the the interesting adventures that you've had sure. over your life. Um you went, to, you went to Montana State, is that right? Majored in engineering? Yeah, it was
1: construction engineering at Montana State.
0: And Correct. then, I'm going to fast forward a little bit to age 25. You went to the doctor and had quite a surprise. Can you talk about that?
1: I sure can. It was, um, to, be, uh, to be accurate, it was 24 when I went to the doctor the first time. It was Got 25 it. when the doctor gave me some really good news.
0: Oh, nice. Um, okay.
1: okay. So, it, when I was... It was November 17th in 2009 that I woke up in the middle of the night with this crazy, crazy side ache that within about five minutes had me almost seizing on the floor. It was just this wild thing that was like, what the heck is going on here? So obviously it rushed to the ER um, and and immediately into scans. And, you know, um, doctor comes out and is like, oh, buddy, we have a problem. Uh, you you know, I, you have two big tumors. Um, so I, I, was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma and went immediately to a, um, a specialist in, in this, at the time I was in San Diego, living okay. in San Diego, uh, you know, running on the beach and surfing and just doing the San Diego thing, which was great. Like I had of, I was, I was living life down there at the time. And, um, and this doctor, you know, he comes in, he's a South African guy, and he, he specializes in lymphoma, and he's like, okay, so this is a very aggressive cancer, you have two big tumors, both bigger than a fist, Um, you know, one is on your kidney, on the right side, and the other one is wrapped around your aorta.
0: Both bigger than a
1: fist? Both of them bigger than a fist.
0: Holy shit, that's insane. Didn't even
1: know. Either. And you were in, crazy. I mean, you were in great shape,
0: I mean, active every day. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy, I,
1: I, man i had no idea and i mean what happened was the tumor on my kidney had hemorrhaged okay and started bleeding internally so i it was actually doctors like you're really lucky that that thing hemorrhaged because it, it had it not there's a good chance that this these tumors would have gone systemic meaning you know it gets in your bloodstream and then you know in some ways all bets are off sure um but he, he said, you know, okay, so this is how it is, Daniel. This is a, statistically speaking, this is a cancer that you're going to get through. Uh, you, you know, you're 24 years old and you're in excellent shape and, you know, yada, 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 yada. He's like, but here's the reality. You, the, you have a tumor on your aorta that could actually puncture your aorta. Mm-hmm. And and he's like, and ultimately that's what I'm sort of trying to do. Uh, they... they Build bridges to bloodstreams, and he's like, and if that happens, you're just gonna literally bleed out inside, and it, it'll take about five seconds, and you're just gonna fall over and die. Damn. And I mean, this guy was like, he he was a badass. I'll I'll, I'll put it that way. And I owe so much to him, you know. And and uh, at the same time, no sense of humor and. In- Incredibly to the point.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. To the, a fault. the intensity <laughs> level of a guy in that oh, business, yeah. I couldn't imagine it. Yeah. So,
1: it, yeah, that was one of those moments where I, I even as I tell it now, I, I remember every single detail from when he said that to when I fell asleep that night, which took a long time to fall asleep that night. So um, you,
0: from the day you went into, when you had the episode, went to the hospital within a day of that, you had gotten this news. How, how long? No, how long did it, was, take?
1: it was about two weeks.
0: Oh God. Yeah. Man, the
1: first the day way. I went in and then you have to go, you to go through all these tests. They yeah. do biopsies and they're, they're doing all this stuff to figure out what, what kind of cancer you have. Got and, it. Got it. So that, yeah, that, the, the unknown aspect <sighs> is one of those parts. You're just sitting there for two weeks, like, holy moly, what's going on? But, uh, especially at that age, it's just like, so you're just, your world is rocked. Um, yeah. Completely knocked off course. Uh, but you know, and I, and I don't need to do, to do the, tell the whole story. It would take a whole nother podcast and it wouldn't even be needed. But you know, it's like at the, it's certainly a moment when he said that to me that I'm, I'm never going to forget, um, uh, those details and, and something that came a little bit later in recalling that, particular day and the whole experience at large was the gift that it gave me in terms mm-hmm. of like what is important and what's not important yeah i if i could go back in time and rewrite the story i wouldn't change a damn word now mm-hmm. granted i'm also on the other side of the story still talking about it Mm -hmm. And to be be completely respectful of the many people who might listen to this who have either gone through a similar experience themselves or have had family go through it and not come out the way I have. That is something that that really does cut to the core. So I'm lucky that way, and I will forever be grateful. Uh, That being said, I still wouldn't change
0: the story. So how are you... And I mean, I had a, a, a cancer scare at one point. It wasn't as bad as yours, but it was, it still scared the shit out of me and changed, you know, basically changed my whole perspective. Um, mm-hmm. But it wasn't, it wasn't an overnight change. I mean, I think there was definitely like a huge shakeup. And then it took me probably a year really for, or even two years for everything to kind of settle. Cause it, I mean, and that was just the way I handled it. But I went through a bunch of different, I mean, basically, I was working at a real estate development company and they told me I had cancer and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It changed me. Now my whole career is devoted to conservation. And so mm-hmm. that, yep. and it, it wasn't a quick switch. I mean, if I were writing a story about it, it'd be cool to write it that way. But it took two years of a lot of examination and kind of unpleasant. I'm sure my wife, who was my fiance at the time, wasn't enjoying some of the, you know, anger and stuff that, that I had. But, how did that play out for you? I mean, how did things change and what was the timeline? I'm just curious purely from a selfish standpoint because cause of my experience.
1: No, I think it's a really good question. And I, I think it's also a really good question for anybody else out there who is going through it. Um, I, I've known a few people now <clears throat> since I've been out of that experience who, you know, have kind of called on me in that way and asked like, you know, what, what – how long does this take? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and so really, really good question. It took me a year, if not two total years, the first within the almost by the day, actually. So I was given clean bill of health when I was 25 years old, about a week before my birthday. And, and my birthday is April 26th. And so which was uh, my golden birthday. i oh, mm-hmm. sorry. No, it wasn't my golden birthday, but it, it was it was right, right there and. And it took almost a year to the date later I picked up a newspaper and I saw this article of um, it was like I just came across this random little article of, you know, there's a self-help, self-help group of cancer survivors and, and cancer pe- people, uh, you know, who get together once a week and tell their stories. And I was like, oh, man, well. I, I had I felt like I had sort of softened with the whole experience, and I had kind of come to with all of it after a year. And I was like, yeah, maybe I should go, and um, maybe I could contribute to the conversation, and maybe I could even I don't know help somebody. And I mean, little did I know, I, I, it, it, a whole another set of emotions. Like I, as soon as I walked in the door, I just like walked into this whole new world that I had to process again. And it, and it was amazing, of course. I, I learned a lot, and it was everybody else that really helped me versus me helping anybody. Um, but ultimately, to, to really feel completely settled in it, it took about two years for me. And even at that point, it wasn't like I knew, you know, like my life path, my calling is, um, you know, I, I'm going to be a nature guide or something. Like that. I, I didn't have a clear path. I just knew very, very clearly and confidently of how, um, it, it affirmed how much I appreciate people and how much I appreciate the relationships that I've created with people. Um, how much I appreciate nature, of course, and my upbringing and, and how much just in general I appreciate of all the details. And that that point for me was like, Oh, okay. Well, I don't need to know what's, you know, what my path is. That's all I need to know is how, how thankful I am. So that's, that's really ultimately where it started. It took about two years to get there.
0: Do you think the common ground project would be happening if you hadn't have had that happen to you?
1: Uh, mm-hmm. that's a good question. I don't know, man.
0: I, I mean, it's hard, I, you know, it's hard to yeah, answer that, but
1: it, well, I think it's a fun question. I, I guess I would say yeah, it probably would happen even without that. But mm-hmm. you know, maybe not. I mean, that was such a powerful. I, I mean, there's literally uh, a few different experiences in life that have that much potency, and those things really shape us um, and, and who we are. Whether whether or not we see the shaping while it's happening, um, it doesn't really matter. I, I I would guess that there's a chance I wouldn't have cre- I, I wouldn't have been so driven. To this concept with common ground, if I hadn't experienced that, but um, I mean, one thing that I, I look at in terms of my own, myself as being teacher and student, uh, when I was in treatment, I and this is something that um, kind of leads into this idea of storytelling and sharing and and co-creating around campfires and just being there for people. I I was in a communal treatment room in San mm. Diego. And so there's probably about, you know, any given day there would have been about 10 people in the room and I was definitely the youngest person there. Most of them were in their mid to late 40s and then a handful, of course, were all the way into their 70s and early 80s. And within, of course, everybody gets to know each other because you're on the same schedule and you have this, of course, this very powerful and unique experience that you're sharing together and through that process you know a couple people didn't show up on their beds you know after a while it's one of those where it's like oh man this is heavy stuff but after two weeks you know really getting to know people I, I, this is something that's not about tooting my own horn I think it's about really recognizing the aspects of ourselves that are truly genuine and beautiful that resonate with people and this is ultimately what I'm trying to create with common ground of course but I'd walk in the door of this treatment room, and everybody would and this happened a few times, everybody would start clapping, and they'd all start cheering superman and 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 then you could see the look like especially in a couple of these older gentlemen, the look on their faces just, just like feeling so um happy you know, and mm-hmm. it ultimately wasn't r- really uh, about them. It was just happy to see me, you know, being in the place that I was in and just going through it and being there with them. Yeah. Uh, And that is really beautiful. And ultimately, those kinds of those are the kinds of details and those are the kinds of feelings that I I try to um, espouse and try to bring out, not just in myself, but in others. And I think that this idea of common ground is just one way of expressing that. At least maybe.
0: That's great. Um, so you're obviously a uh, uh, deep thinker on a lot of a lot of things. I mean, it, it comes through so clearly in in the way you speak. I'm actually very jealous of how clearly you speak because all I do is say, "Um, yeah, uh, you know, you, know. <laughs> you want to switch places?" Oh man! Um, but uh, but mm. you know, obviously, your family's had a big influence on you, and you've you've had encounters with different people throughout your lives. Are there any? specific mentors or people that have really influenced your outlook? Cause you just seem to have a very, um, level-headed, clear way of looking at things. Um, and kind of taking in the whole complexity of, of issues, not trying to make things black or white, yes or no, like I have a tendency to do. So who, I mean, who has helped shape your outlook on things?
1: Well, it's a really, um, uh, it's a really, Nice compliment for you to say that. Uh, truth be told, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm just, very jealous. Truth <laughs> be told, I'm still just a little kid bouncing off the walls of life trying to figure it all out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that being said, you know, t- to the mentors, I, I mean, I, I just have so many mentors. Um, of course, family. And I've, I know I've met, we've talked about Grandpa Andy and my father and my mother too, you know, and, and all of her wisdom and her grace. Um, and my grandma, Ginny, I mean, she, oh, man, she's just this. She passed away a little less than a year ago, um, which was a big, big hit for our family. And, and granted, we still, you know, we still just appreciate so much uh, all the memories. It's so, so real and fresh in memory. Grandma Ginny, um, she was a mentor for sure. I mean, even one little story um when when I was probably 28 or 29 years old I was in a you know one of those late 20s crises not really all that important in the big picture but it was one of those at the time where I was just stuck and I remember she lived on the ranch and I remember coming into her into her little cabin and She's this tiny little lady with a super soft little voice, and she talks to you, and you know she's sweet as can be. Like, and in the morning, she was—I mean, seriously—stereotypical grandma stuff. Like, she'd have these warm cookies all the time, and and be like, "Oh, do you want a cookie?" And I mean, it's like the sweetest lady you <laughs> could imagine. And then in like three o'clock in the afternoon, she's like, "Hey, you want some scotch?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like she's just great. So, but anyway, I come in and I start to sort of open up to her and vent a little bit, and I'm clearly. Seeking some advice, and and so mentorship. You know, she looks up at me, and she like I'm standing there, and she comes and she like puts her hands on my shoulders. She like puts her hands all the way up my shoulders, and she looks up into my eyes, and she starts to tear up a little bit, and she says, "Oh dear, all you need to do is be you." <laughs> it was like, I mean, it makes me think of some of my buddies who are like, "Do you boo?" Just yeah. just. Do. <laughs> but grandma Ginny said it in this way that just like pulls the heartstrings. oh in fact, yeah. and it but it's also it's trivial and simple but it's so real and profound at the same time and it, i kind of just like <laughs> checked myself i guess the moment and i smiled and i was like yeah you're so right grandma <laughs> this stuff really isn't important thank you for that and, and so, you know, family mentors. But, you know, aside from that, I, I've met some really, really interesting people along the way. And I can't pay homage to anybody in particular for the people I've met. But I, in my mid-20s, uh, 10 years ago, I met, I met a Peruvian shaman it, 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 who, who clearly turned into a mentor mm-hmm. almost within minutes and from there, met a variety, you know, over the course of 10 years of um, exploring what kind of teachings that that world can offer, uh, met some really powerful uh, spiritual healers, teachers, thought workers, philosophers, educators, politicians, corporate people, I mean, it, it, some People, individuals from all over the planet who have been drawn into that world in a spiritual sense, from their own calling, Mm -hmm. have, once you're in it, you, you, or once you at least step into that field with people, and it doesn't have to be a Peruvian shaman, I mean, it literally can just, like we're doing with Common Ground, it can be a campfire with other people, but once you step into that world, you immediately create connections with people that you can't put words to. Mm -hmm. And the elders that I have spent time with in that work have taught me so much uh, about not just myself and opening me up to my own self and teaching me how to get out of my own way. And, and all these different really complex ways of looking at our, our own like who we are and, and what is it you know what's the purpose and what's the meaning and not everybody thinks that way but i i certainly do aside from the social side of it man these folks have taught me in a tremendous amount about our connection to nature and and what that means for not just ourselves individually but for our entire civilization and and um, none of this stuff is dogmatic. Um, all of it is ultimately quite profound and re- deeply rooted in nature. So I can't say actually specific names just because I would get in a lot of trouble if I did that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I understand.
1: Well, that's... But I can tell you that that work uh, has been incredible.
0: Well, it's cool thinking about just our conversation in, in... – these connections you've made with people. And it seems like there you've made a lot of connections with people through very intense experiences, like these spiritual experiences Um, and then like the experience of sitting in that group treatment room when you had cancer and then the experience, you know, even of growing up um, on the ranch with a tight knit family and then boarding school, you know, that's an intense experience where you make these lifelong connections that are stronger than, than pretty much anything and, and that's sounds like that's what you're going to be doing at the common ground project. You know, you, you have these intense, memorable, meaningful experiences that bond you together with other people. Is that, mm. am I off on that?
1: No, you're right on with it, man. You're right on with it. And it's, it's not about prescriptive and saying like, you're going to do this and this and this, and then we're going to leave with that and that and that it, I mean, there are, there's a little bit of truth in that. Cause we want to like, you, know, you got to prime people in terms of what they're going to be coming into. Sure. Uh, but really this is a co-creative process. It is what we make of it.
0: So that's, it's, as I keep saying, really exciting. And we are, we're already well over an hour, which is crazy. Cause I feel like we've been talking for 10 minutes. Um, do you have time for us to run through some of these quick questions that I ask everybody at the end of the podcast?
1: I sure do, man. I'll try not to ramble.
0: Um, no, ramble all you want. This is my podcast. We can do whatever we want. We can talk. For, we should have just said, all right, this is a four-hour podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do go. that one day. Um, so do you have any favorite books about the American West? Uh,
1: yeah. Okay. So a couple. Yes. I'd say the, the favorite book about the American West is Trails Plowed Under by Charles M. Russell. Uh, I mean, that, that is just a really fun entertaining uh, cultural experience in and of its own cool. I, it, it, so yeah tpu is what we call it in the family trails plowed under uh charlie russell man I, and if if the readers don't know who charlie russell is then there's an entire arsenal of great work in art and poetry and writing that charlie russell provided for the the west and the history of the west
0: Nice. Um, I'll link to all of that.
1: I I would say, like in, in terms of writings, that would be the the one that I'll okay. give
0: you. Mm-hmm. that's great. Do you have any favorite documentaries or films that have been meaningful to you?
1: Sure do. Um, let's see here, films. Well, I I'm pretty sure Dumb and Dumber is the best movie ever made.
0: So well, Roadhouse is the best movie ever made. Dumb and Dumber is the best comedy ever made.
1: Oh, Roadhouse, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> course you've got your facts mixed up. how could i i totally mess that up oh my goodness
0: (laughs) now i'm with you on dumb and dumber i I, I used to have that movie memorized (laughs) (laughs) no okay so
1: in all seriousness i you know i take it back to this i I come from this feeling place like last of the mohicans Mm -hmm. avatar man from snowy river lonesome dove you know a few of those those are a few that i could list off um all around amazing movies and and from a documentary standpoint yeah i saw one recently it was the premiere of it and or uh, the first showing of it in montana i believe was in bozeman jeff bridges who also is a a resident part-time resident of paradise valley really really amazing guy he he put together a work called living in the future's past i'm not sure if it's officially out yet But when it, if it's not out yet, when it comes out, I would absolutely recommend people watch that. It's just like, again, it's kind of a mind bender and twister, but it's, and it's deep thinking, but it is really, really good. And of course, Jeff Bridges, I mean, he's, he's the guy, he's the dude, he's Jeff.
0: I read a book. It was like a meditation book written by him. And it was, uh, it was basically a conversation between him and his meditation teacher. And it was one of the best meditation books I've ever read. I just picked it up because it looked interesting. But mm-hmm. that guy is, is, really, really wise, especially when it comes to like the mindfulness stuff. I mean, he is, I was so surprised by that. Um, cause I just kind of thought big Lebowski funny. And then when you dig in, he's, he's a really uh, introspective and, and smart and interesting dude.
1: He sure is. He he definitely is. I've had the good fortune of, of meeting and chatting with him, um, couple times in life. It's been a while since we've seen each other, but, uh, I, I would echo everything you just said in total, uh, confidence. That's he's, awesome. a, he's a really awesome human being.
0: Um, this is a good one. Um, especially given your interesting life, what is the most powerful experience you've ever had in the outdoors? And powerful could mean funny, scary, memorable, interesting, just Uh, is there one single experience there may it might be there might not be one given you know your life in the outdoors Mm -hmm. but does one Mm -hmm. pop out
1: yeah one pops out um i I, yeah there and there are a bunch maybe we can get to it another time but this so this is when i was range riding a few summers ago there was a a cow that had been killed by grizzly bear and you know practices one of the practices is to get the carcass away from all the rest of the cows so you don't tease the bears into doing it again and and we keep an eye on it you know we put it in a place where it's out in the open and 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 you kind of just you, you survey and monitor these these carcasses when it happens if you can you know and if it's safe so i'm riding my well, it's not, he wasn't my horse, but he's a really awesome horse named Taz. Mm-hmm. He's like beautiful, black thoroughbred, super athletic, really gentle creature. And, uh, and I've got with me and Taz, um, our fam, one of our family dogs, Sage, who's a, a Alaskan Husky rescued from like way North small village in Alaska. And she is just, I mean, to put it blunt, she is just a badass when mm-hmm. it comes to messing with grizzly bears. So. We, I circle around this big carcass out of sight and come up onto this hill from about, you know, I'd say it's in the range of 50 yards, maybe more away. And it was day three, uh, so most of the carcass had been eaten. Um, and, and there was indeed one boar still left who was trying to, like, pick away at the remaining scraps. Yeah. And so Taz and I are, you know, we're up on this hillside and the boar immediately sees us and, and he acknowledges that we're there and, and doesn't show any sign of aggression. Um, nor does he show any iota of being frightened um, or concerned. So he just like, keeps like ambling about and, and uh, he's finding a couple of little scraps here and there but pretty much everything on that carcass is gone. And, and Sage though, Sage is like, Oh my goodness, this is great. So she runs like, hundred miles an hour just right down into that scene and starts running circles around this grizzly bear just messing with him And, and he he is just like he's getting frustrated you can tell he's getting annoyed he tries to like lunge at her and she dodges him and just you can see this huge smile on her face just like laughing the whole time and She's sort of like barking and these like weird noises, just totally messing with him. And and he's just like, just leave me alone. I'm trying to like I'm trying to find the last little snack that I can have here. Just just stop pestering me. And he's like sits down in his butt and he's like picking away at some bone. He's sort of like sitting upright and Sage runs behind him and turns turns her back toward him from like maybe just five feet away. Mm-hmm. and starts to kick dirt all over the back of him with her feet. Like, you know how dogs like will like, yeah. kick dirt on their poo after they go? Oh, yeah. like eh. She just goes, but she's going all out. And you can see dirt flying in the air, and it's, like, hitting him in the back of his head. And you can just see the look on his face. He's getting just pissed. <laughs> He's furious. But he can't do anything. So and he just, like, looks at her, and he just has this, like, look on his face, like, please. <laughs> and, <laughs> And she, and then she, she's like, fine. Okay. So literally it was just like that. She just was like, okay, fine. I, I you're on your own, but here's how that. this is the best part of the story. So the, I, there was a few people up there when they dropped the carcass off, uh, the first day and, and somebody had a banana that must've been like squished in a bag or something. I don't yeah. know. But anyway, it was on the ground and it was a full banana and, and I didn't, Realize that, but I was close enough to see like this bear. Kind of, he gets up, he starts to amble around. And he's like, "Okay, well, I'm heading out. There's nothing left here." And he's walking away from his carcass, and then you like see him like do a double take. And he pauses, and he's like, "Wait a minute, what the heck is that?" And he reaches over and he grabs his banana, and I was like, "No way, there's a banana!" And so then he sits down on his on his butt again. And he starts to peel the banana. What? The most perfect, like the the dexterity was incredible, man. Like he didn't just like pop the whole banana in his mouth. He's peeled this thing as perfect as you possibly could. And then I had this big light flash in my head like, holy Jesus, I have a banana in my bag too. I was carrying, like I had this little day pack on where I always have like a snack bar or banana or a bottle of water and an extra can of bear spray. I always like packed a bear spray on my saddle or on foot, with in my hand. But I always had another one, and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god! So I like, I'm reaching back there, reaching back as hard as I can, as quick as I can, because like, this banana is gonna be gone in seconds. You know, this bear. So I and I successfully, you know, open it up, pull the banana out, and I peel my banana. And right as I bite into my banana, I kid you not, that bear, like turns and looks right at me from fifty yards away, and he like. Chomps into his banana I, I <laughs> chomp into mine, <laughs> and it was just like, yeah this is coexistence at its best.
0: <laughs> Can you guarantee an experience like that for people who come to the common ground project?
1: <laughs> uh, holy moly yeah no i I, uh, I wish I could guarantee that i I don't know if you could ever replicate that experience That's
0: pretty unreal on a lot of different levels that
1: is so cool. that's it awesome.
0: Was, um, next to the last question, I, I ask this of everybody who comes on. Um, if you could ask, make a request of the people who listen to this podcast. So it's people that love the American West. They're from all over, all over the world, really, which is crazy. But people that have a love for the West, whether it's through conservation, ranching, athletics, art, whatever connects them to this region. Um, if you could offer some words of wisdom or ask them to do something, what would that be?
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. So, all right. A couple of things for anybody who comes into Tom minor basin specifically, I would ask, uh, to please drive extra slow on the dirt road. <laughs> 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 and, and, and furthermore, you know, for that, just anytime you're on a dirt road, just like why not slow down and take in the nature of a dirt road Mm -hmm. this isn't a race you know and pretty much any time we're on pavement we're just like you know got to get to from a to b as fast as i possibly can um so when you're on the dirt just slow down and like just pay attention to what's going on because there's a lot of stuff that we miss when we just drive so fast um I would say second, you know, here's a kind of a fun thing I like to do when I'm out hiking. Um, I've, i actually, one of the last times I did this on the East coast, I was in New York city. I was like, Oh, I'm going to do this here, which was just mind blowing. But, um, so step outside wherever you are. Like if, obviously if you're driving down the road, don't do that. But if you're at home or when you get home, like stand on your front porch, stand in your yard. If you're out in the country, like go out into like a little field or if you like hiking, do like go outside and count all of the sounds that you can hear,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like in, try to inventory them. And if you need to like grab a pen and paper and write it down and, and consider when you listen to that, how big that bubble is that you're in. And then like even, even paying attention to your own, like if you can hear your own heartbeat kind of thing. Yep. It, it, when you're in nature it's really cool like when you're totally immersed out in wild places you, it's really fun to do this practice because you can actually push yourself to listen farther and farther and farther away and and then when you do it enough you can push yourself to feel farther and farther away it's not necessarily just about inventorying the sounds it's inventorying the feelings and you can tune in at a whole new way that um is is really really fun honestly it's great it sounds weird,
0: but no, it I doesn't. And it. I think if I remember correctly, when I had Charles post on the podcast, he said that he would go out sometimes with like a, a microphone and headphones that amplify the sound so that he could hear everything even louder. And mm-hmm. it, he would kind of do that. It was an electronic, you know, electronically, um, you know, kind of amped up way of doing it. But he talked about that, and and he he referenced a book about the, the importance of sound, the importance of sound. I can't remember, but I'll put links to, to all that in the notes, but yeah, you're not that that's interesting. Cause you're not the people have mentioned that before. And I'd never heard it until I started doing this podcast. I think that's cool. I've yet to do it. I need Great. to. Yeah. Well, I'll
1: have to, I'm going to have to shoot him a text and say, Hey man, I heard you and I got the same kind of idea. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so last thing, you know, Louise even said, don't get preachy. Just don't get preachy on people. And I'm like, okay, I'll try not to. Um, but this so I I apologize in advance if this sounds preachy, but uh, I gotta say it. It's just um, I honestly believe we have um, a huge opportunity to begin kind of recognizing that the relationships we have with other people are in other places too are what connect us. Like even in the conflict, like in this world. That we're in right now is really really complicated and perhaps it always has been like this. I don't know Maybe it's more complicated now because there's so many of us here Uh, But it's ultimately in the conflict that binds us so Why not try to honor the relationships that we have? Versus that of paying attention to the differences that we have
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, and even if that relationship isn't warm and fuzzy, that's It's my only sort of preachy ask.
0: (laughs) I don't think that's, I think that's very, very wise. Um, I mean, I, I need to work on that. I think everybody does. And so everybody needs to do it. (laughs) And I I
1: do too. I need to work on it too. I honestly, I would imagine it's going to be a life practice. So,
0: well, that's a awesome way to wrap it up. But first I want to know how can people connect with you, with the project, an easy way for them to donate lots of money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah right <laughs> oh yeah so the indiegogo campaign for sure i mean you can get onto our website the common ground it's it's the common ground Project. Okay. um and there's also you, know, you can reach out to either me or common ground through instagram um my personal is uh, at danderson.mt. as in montana and at the common ground project um and you know, aside from the world wide web, I honestly I'm happy to come to you. Like I don't know how that would look, but we could have the conversation and we could figure it out. So that's a that's a really good way of connecting, I think, is just getting FaceTime. It's one of the best ways, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, I'll look forward to FaceTime with you when I come up there to visit. But um I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and I'm excited to Get this out so everybody can hear it. But thank you so much for everything you're doing.
1: Yeah, and thank you, Ed. I, one quick thing I got to say to everybody: um, I know I mentioned this to you, so when we were talking off record, but I just want everybody else to know out there. And, and I'm sorry if I'm blowing smoke up your ass, Ed. But <laughs> seriously, your work uh, your your work is really important. You, you know what you're doing here in with all the people that you've hosted before uh, is is something we definitely need more of. And so thank you, man, for for bringing your talents and your passions and amplifying the voices of so many really cool people. I'm I'm definitely honored to be a part of this community that you've created.
0: Well, man, I appreciate that. That means a lot. And um, I still don't fully I can't convince myself of that. But hearing nice comments like that definitely, definitely helps. (laughs) I really appreciate it. Keep up the good work, man. Thank you.